This is episode 89 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. I hope you're having a great day, and I appreciate your sharing it with me. Think about what comes to mind when I ask you to think about a marketer or salesperson. Be honest. Did you think of a smart, soft-spoken, insightful woman? If not, I hope today's episode changes that for you. Sonia Simone is a marketing trendsetter and founding partner of Rainmaker Digital, formerly Copyblogger Media, and throughout our conversation, she reveals how a risk-averse, introverted, and insanely curious writer became one of the leading voices in digital marketing today. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. If you're struggling to keep up with processing your email, SaneBox might be just the tool you need. It has saved me hours of time each month, and the amount of peace of mind I get from it is priceless. SaneBox sorts through your email and moves all of the trivial stuff into a different folder, so the only messages in your inbox are the ones you actually want to see. Aside from removing all of the junk so you can focus on the messages that matter, there's this great feature called the black hole. Move an email into that folder and you'll never hear from the sender again. One and done. Just how we like it. Because email can be such a bear and keep you from finishing the stuff that matters, we worked out a great deal for our listeners. Visit sanebox.com forward slash giant and they'll throw in an extra $25 credit on top of the two-week free trial. You don't have to enter the credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Again, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com forward slash giant. Hey there, Creative Giants. I'm excited to introduce you to Sonia Simone. She's someone you should know, but if you don't, then um, I'm, I'm really excited about today's episode. Sonia Simone was a founding partner of Rainmaker Digital when it formed as Copyblogger Media in 2010. She serves as the company's chief content officer and executive publisher of the Copyblogger blog. She has a long background in traditional marketing, both with startups and in more established corporate environments. She's also a longtime veteran of social media. She first got online in 1989. And as the content marketing revolution is evolving, she's finding that her once weird ideas are becoming mainstream. Sonia's marketing philosophy is that a company's marketing is, very simply, the sum total of everything that company communicates to its customers, both in words and actions. Because of this, she considers herself a teacher as much as a marketer. She places the relationship with the audience of prospects and customers above everything else, and that's the approach she teaches Copyblogger Media's audience and students. Sonia, thanks so much for coming back after your day after coming back from Napa and your busy schedule at, um, I'm, I want to say Copyblog, but I know okay. it's Rainmaker. I know it's Rainmaker um, to, to join me today. I still, I know, I still say Copyblogger all the time. Yeah. Um, Copyblogger is still a thing, right? So we still have the Copyblogger blog, so that kind of saves, um, saves me the embarrassment. But yes, officially, we're Rainmaker Digital these days officially Rainmaker Digital. You know, we might come back and talk about that big switch um, because, um, well, we'll go there. But, you know, where I want to start with is when most people think of, say, internet marketer or digital marketer, um, you know, there's a certain image that pops up and it's not like Sonia, like who you are in the world, right? Um, right. And so it, maybe you're like me, sometimes people call me an internet marketer and I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I feel comfortable with that, right? Uh, and so what is it about marketing that it's been your life work, it, despite all of this sort of like craziness that sometimes happens around internet marketing and digital marketing? I, that's a, I mean, I don't even know in one way. It's, it does seem like a, a odd thing for me to have um, ended up doing. But I think in a lot of ways, it's because that was what was hard for me. That was the piece of the puzzle that was tough for me and that I had to do more, put more work into learning. And the more you kind of put into it, the more you get out of it. So, yeah, in a funny way, it's because it was the harder road, the marketing, the selling, you know, not, um, not one of those born salespeople. Uh, so because it was hard for me and I had to work on it, I thought, well, I, 
I think it's hard for other people too. You know, I think that there's other people who are not born salespeople or don't see themselves maybe matching up to the picture in their head that they might have of a, a marketer or a digital entrepreneur or whatever, you know, label you want to come up with. Um, so maybe I have something I could teach those folks and maybe I could help some folks find some of the benefits without some of the weird baggage or side effects or, you know, just 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 weirdness. I mean, there's a lot of weirdness in what we do. There's a lot of weirdness, right, in the world. So There's a lot of weirdness in the world. Um, and that's what I try to tell people about marketing sometimes, yeah. especially internet marketing. It's like, the thing about it is, in digital marketing, the weirdness gets amplified to such a degree um, yeah. that, that it's it seems like, wow, like all marketers are that way. I mean, because we see marketing tactics and strategies get promulgated very, very quickly. Like, you know, it's like a yeah. six to nine month timeline and everybody's doing that thing. It's like, what is up with marketers right. without seeing that it's just a small select group of people that are using the channels in a certain way, you know? And so it's like yeah. sales, salespeople. We always have the idea of the used car salesperson. Like, is that's like, that's what selling is. But think about like the rest of the 99% of sales that you go through that are not from the used car salesman, that you don't even recognize that there's actually a selling process happening. Right. It feels exactly. So, it feels so graceful and, and, and useful that you're like, that was really useful for me. Well, that sells, yeah. you know? No, exactly. Exactly. And I think that a lot of people that's, that's kind of invisible, the, the huge number of businesses and, you know, brick and mortar businesses or service professionals or um, writers or all kinds of businesses that are out there that are using digital marketing, right, to find more customers, but they're not visible in the same way that certain people who have said, I am a marketing person are visible. So we kind of, you know, it's, that's a great thing about the web is you can, you know, you can put your thing out there and if you have a little bit different vibe or a different outlook, or you maybe just have a different looking person in your head when you're, you know, creating your content, then you can reach a whole new group of people. And that's what I love about it. You know, there's no, there's no storefront you have to buy. There's no, you know, um, there's not this massive cost of entry like in a, in a more traditional business. And so you can experiment with things and you can talk to new people. Yeah. Well, and I'm trying to figure out if this is the way that I've rewritten your story, or if this is the way that it actually happened. Right. So um, we'll go back to remarkable communication back in the day because you know, that's where you started, but my sort of revisionist history version of Sonia is that you've always approached marketing from a con from a very strong content bias, like creating really compelling content, um, and then using that, you know, for the different ends of marketing, right? But I don't know that that's true. It is true, uh, but there didn't used to be a good label for it. So, yeah, no, totally. I mean, in fact, even when I was in corporate marketing, I did a huge amount of content marketing. And I mean, I was, I was managing a team and we wrote all these like travel guides and um, really, really deep content. Um, but yeah, the content marketing kind of wasn't a phrase then. Um, but you yeah, know, totally. That was always my that was always my approach to things. You know, it's sort of the flip side of what I talked about earlier. The marketing side was what was hard. Just the self expression and writing was something that had come easy to me, and that I just do so much of. I mean, I thought about it, and I think I have written you know something like a substantial number of words every day for probably close to thirty years at this point. So I was in the hospital for four days with a C-section and I didn't do it then. <laughs> and other than that, like, I don't know how many days off I've really taken. Um, not necessarily writing for publication, but writing something. If you don't get good at it after that much practice, then you should probably do something different. Like, <laughs> I don't know how much credit I can take. It's just, I just put a lot of hours in. I mean, you talk about the 10,000 hours. I mean, it's, it's there. Yeah. And, and the reason I want to pull that in is because so many writers like will set up this false dichotomy. It's like, I'm a writer. I'm not a marketer. Right. And I'm like, well, um, welcome to 2016 yeah. first. Um, but also it's not like these are, you know, flip ends of the spectrum here. Writers oh. become great marketers all the time. And sometimes marketers become great writers. 
I don't know that I see it that way going so much as I see writers becoming great marketers, right? And so I just wanted to say that, you know, um, sometimes we have the image of a marketer or a salesperson. We have like sort of that Gary V image, right? Mm-hmm. Gary Vaynerchuk. That dude has been selling since he's like six, right? Right, exactly. That's just who he is through and through. And people will look and say, I'm not Gary V. Mm-hmm. I'm not Clay Collins. I'm not that type of person. And there's like, well, you know, if you're a writer and you write for 30 years and you're on the digital web, at a certain point, like, you know, you might want to consider that marketing is a functional skill set that, that all marketers need or all writers need. Yeah, well, and, and a couple of things on that. One, I mean, I remember back when Clay was like a dreamy poet boy, so. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what happens when you go back to 2007 and eight. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, Clay's wonderful now and wonderful then, and he's a great guy. Um, but Gary... Gary V. I mean, you know, I admire the guy. He's tremendous. At the same time, he's been getting on my last nerve lately because he's really been working this thing like, well, I had a lemonade stand when I was, you know, in utero. So I'm, you know, made for this and you're not. And I know that he's, you know, he's frustrated by some of the silliness and the unicorns and the, I mean, there's plenty of silliness, right, that we all get frustrated at. But I think he has totally thrown that baby out with the bathwater because this idea that selling is not a a skill that can be acquired, I think is very toxic. I think it's toxic. And a lot of very capable people who could bring something amazing to this world by having a side hustle or a full-on business who could be helping people, employing people, and living on their own terms, don't do it. They come to a screeching halt because they, and that's where I was, was like, I know I could contribute value, but I don't know how to sell it. And it's, it's just learnable. It really is. Yeah, I really respect Gary Vee and what he's built. I think he's flat out wrong on that, right? Um, you could take um, Dan Pink's latest book. I think it's still his latest book, um, to, to Sell as Human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We actually talked about this at um, the Rainmaker Conference last year, actually, that it's actually not the Gary Vees of the, of the worlds that make the best salespeople. And I think what, what Gary has done is um, conflated his ambition and passion for his, for sales, right? They're two different. Yeah. So he's got that level of ambition and passion that drives the way that he sells and shows up in the world. Um, and I don't know that I would respond very well to Gary Vee trying to sell to me, right? I'd be like, yeah, no, right? You're right. Back off. Yeah. Like, yeah. Two, two steps back, my friend. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing is, and I, and I, this is how I try and teach it is every one of us, you know, every human being on this planet has a certain set of assets and a certain set of constraints. And so you got to, um, I always say it's more like Lego and it's not, it's less like Ikea and it's more like Lego. So you got a certain set of Legos and they're your Legos and maybe you can get some more, right? Or maybe you can't. And then you put together what you can based on what you have. So Gary has some assets, from, you know, in his personality and his level of energy and frankly, in his background, you know, he comes from that like first generation immigrant background where there's such a work ethic and, and, um, and that's a, that's an asset, you know, um, but he has constraints too. Like, I mean, as you said, I mean, I think Gary's style is going to really turn on some people and it's going to turn off some people wildly who are going to be like, I would never, ever buy anything from that person. Um, we all have our combination of assets and constraints. And so you just got to put it together with some creativity and some heart and some self-knowledge um, and make what you can make. And, and, you know, by no means does everybody start with the same value of Legos, right? Like some people start with, you know, one yellow Lego and a gum wrapper, you know, and, yeah. um, but realistically people listening to this who are on the web, who have access to marketing education, who have a piece of technology that they can get on the web with, you know, you're probably not starting with the worst box of Legos that anybody's ever seen, even if you're not necessarily coming from what we might call privilege. Um, that's it. That's just a, a key theme for me is what can you do with what you have um, without going on the one extreme to, you know, success for straight white men, you know, which is like, <laughs> in other words, all business books. Um yeah. I mean, and I, I have, I have many Chris's that I love, but like uh-huh. one thing's like, you know, name yourself, Chris. 
Right. Uh, yes. Yes. But, you know, th- that's what we're talking about is, is that there's a certain image of what it takes to be successful yeah. as an entrepreneur. Right. Um, and so um, I, now I just want to give Chris Brogan a big hug because we both love Chris Brogan. But, you know, there's a certain way in which, um, you know, I've been talking about this with Pam for a while. Pam Slim um, is that like what we're seeing is though there's such a greater possibility and availability for uh, minorities and people who look different to, to yeah. be the face of business, to be the face of marketing. Like when you look at the panels, still mostly the same. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and so there, there's that. I don't know where we can go with that, but it's just one of those things recognizing that that's where we are, where there's this yeah. opportunity, but there's this way that we show up in the world, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about it a lot. I've been really, I've been thinking I've been thinking a lot about writing a book and I've written one third of about four books now <laughs> and I want to come up with something compelling, but I think my something compelling is along those lines of living by your rules. Even if you don't look like what you think maybe a business owner looks like or an entrepreneur, entrepreneur is a loaded mm-hmm. term, you know, it's, it's got this kind of hoodie and sport jacket VC, you know, Zuckerberg kind of quality to it that, um, frankly, most business owners don't don't look like that. They no. don't. Yeah. You know, but those are the ones that we see. Um, so yeah, you know, sort of sort of a digital. I mean, it doesn't have to be digital, but the the, the barriers are um, a lot easier to step over with digital. But you know, it's sort of like business for the rest of us. You know, if you don't fit the mold, if you don't look like what you think the part looks like you can write your own part and that's breathtaking to me and i would love to help i mean that's what i try to do is i try and help as many people as i can write your own part you know because there's a lot of rules available yeah they're for the longest time because of where entrepreneurs going and part of that is because of silicon valley and lean startup and and some of what's going on in there i was like you know i don't want to use the word entrepreneur Anymore, yeah, I know. Right? Um, so I tried for the longest time to get some some headway with Bootstrapper, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a there's a very clear difference between sort of that Silicon Valley tech, you know, yeah. entrepreneur and the Bootstrappers, which are like ninety nine percent of the rest of us, right? right. Yeah, um, out there, um, you know. Anyways, it went where it went, but I think there's there's just one of those things where like we need more. Um, and this is one of the reasons I do love copy blogger and being a part of the, part of the tribe there is that we need uh, more people to learn how to be bootstrappers and embrace their bootstrappiness. Right. Um, all of a sudden, oh, that's good. Write us a post called embrace your bootstrappiness. So like, yeah. Um, or I, w- I was just thinking of bootstrappers delight. Right. Cause <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but anyways, um, but yeah, there, there's this whole realm of, of what it looks like, how you can be in business, right? Right. Um, and speaking of how we can be in business, I wanted to touch on this because I met you, I believe, in 2008, right? Um, okay. And you were still at that time yeah. writing under Remarkable Communication. I think at that time you were a contributor to Copyblogger. That's, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Um, and so I've, I've never asked you this question, Pinky, like... How how did you know it was the right time to move? For, I mean, because you basically shut down Remarkable Communication and joined the copy blogger team full time. Yeah. How did that conversation work? And I want to say this because you wouldn't label yourself this. I'll come back to this. But you've been a trendsetter for quite a while, right? You're one of those quiet trendsetters doing your thing, right? There's, there's, you know, we're starting to see more and more aqua hires. We're starting to see more and more consolidations of businesses and things like that. And this is just part of where the startup world was, but here we are 2008, like, and you're doing that same thing. So kind of walk us through that story and how it came about and, and how that came to be. Yeah. Well, 2008, um, you might remember was the, the financial meltdown, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the economic global, um, you know, rich people panicking about maybe not being as rich, mostly. And then that trickled down to just kick everybody in the teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working for a luxury travel company. I had a day job. And uh, we were laying people off like crazy. And I knew I was on the block. I knew I was on the block. So I had been doing this side hustle of remarkable communication for a while. Um, I for a variety of reasons, you know, I just, I'm not necessarily cut out my, my company. It was a great company, but it was growing and I'm not a good big company person. So what had really worked for me when I was employee 46 was not working for me when we were like 300, 350 people. 
Um, but I knew, I knew I was on my way out. I wanted to jump before I got pushed because I knew psychologically I would get messed up in the head if I got pushed. Um, and went out, you know, and, and I was the, the breadwinner for my family. My husband's a stay-at-home dad, which is awesome, which has um, given me, again, it's an asset that I do not take for granted. It was hugely helpful, but it means I have to make all the money that we live on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so it was, you know, it was just really putting one foot in front of the other. It was, um, I knew that I had to jump, so my back was a little bit against the wall, so I didn't have to find any courage because I just had to do it. Um, I did go out. I had a, a business called The Remarkable Marketing Blueprint, and that was a, a marketing course for people who were like me. It wasn't marketing, wasn't their first language. Marketing is a second language. We might be able to do something with that. Ooh, there you um, go. <laughs> and, uh, and I was kind of rocking and rolling, and I was doing some things with Copyblogger, but yeah, just as a kind of a contributing writer, fangirl. I mean, you know, um, before I could write one word for copy blogger, I had to drink like two glasses of wine before I could work up the courage to ask Brian if I could write a post for him. So I've been there where everybody is. Um, and it, it, But it was sort of putting one foot in front of the other. You know, it was like, oh, well, that went well. Well, why don't we work on this together? And I sort of got myself involved in the teaching sales course saying, you know, this was an awesome course. And I think it would be even more awesome if we had audio for everything and next action worksheets for everything. Could I just create that? Um, and then I, so I kind of did some sweat equity to get myself a, a, a small stake in that company and I, we, you know, we just, we liked working together. Um, I do like working in a team. Uh, I, it's hard for me to work truly solo or just me and a VA. I get lonesome. <laughs> so um, I do like working in a team. And then we just kind of, the next step made sense. And so we tried it out. And then the next step made sense. I am super not a believer. I was just thinking about this this morning. There's that expression, leap and the net will appear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's great if, um, Again, if you have a great, basically, if the net was there all along, that's great. <laughs> yep. If you, you know, uh, if you have, um, you know, some resources, if you have a family with resources and patience, uh, that's great. But the the net does not necessarily appear. Sometimes the floor appears uh, real real quick. So, I'm a real big believer in um, take your next step with your eyes open and give yourself, make your own net, you know, make sure you build your own safety net. So I already had for a year or two before I got out of corporate, I had been publishing my blog, Remarkable Communication, and I had been um, sharing the things that I was learning with a mega budget, corporate budget, um, with people who wouldn't have a mega budget and pulling the audience, you know, what we now call a copy blogger, we call the audience. I don't know. I didn't really call it that. It was just like, I don't know, people who will listen to me, people, um, and pulling that group together and people who valued the same things I did and liked the way I taught. And so that when it was time for me to jump, I had people there that I could say, Hey, would you guys be interested in a course based on what we've been talking about, but more in depth And enough people said, yes, that I could pay my mortgage. And, you know, so every step has been um, very managed risk. Of course, every step is a risk, but it's always managed and it's always with safety nets in place. It's never, and it's always a controlled experiment. And then you step as opposed to just like, oh, I'll put everything in this thing and roll the dice. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, is the leap when the net will appear thing. Like, you know, if you're a high schooler or a college kid, like you don't have that far to fall. Right. And so the net doesn't appear, but if you're um, in your, you know, 35s and 40s and you've got a house and kids and things like that, like that's a pretty far, like that's a pretty long way down um, before you hit. And, you know, you make the net as you're taking the step, you know, I like to say you fix the plane while you're flying it. Right. And it's always one of those things, very managed risk, you know, something that popped up for me um, and I'm going to come back to internet marketing for smart people. Um, which was, I think, a 2009 joint hit, right? But um, <laughs> come back to that. You're like, damn, Charlie, I didn't know you were going to do, um, go back. Right, yeah. Right. Um, the oldies. The oldies, the goodies, man. <laughs> well, not saying, you know what I mean. I'm not going <laughs> to get myself out of that hole, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, something I've been thinking about is in that era of, 
um, online business and things like that, it seemed like there was this understanding that being able to go from side hustle to full-time hustle, like it was going to be a multi-year process, mm-hmm. right? It was, it, it was going to take you a while to get there, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm starting to sense more and more as people come to me, they're like, you know, um, I want to do this in like three months or 90 days or something like that. And I'm like, e- either I'm a dinosaur um, and just things can, for the, for the average person can go that quickly or somehow we've got expectations all sorts of wrong, right? We, somewhere in this, in this broader conversation about business yeah. success, we've got this conversation all wrong that people are thinking that like you start a business three months later, you're full time. Yeah. Right? Are yeah. you making enough? Am I missing something on that one? Or are you, are you seeing that more and more too? Um, I've been seeing it for a while and there is that, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm really close friends with some of these people, but there's folks out there who sell business advice. And if they sell you business advice and say, you're going to be able to make a few hundred dollars a month within maybe 90 to 180 days of getting started, um, that's really hard to market. Mm-hmm. And so they, they, you know, so they choose the outliers. Um, now, sometimes the outliers just have their backs so far up against the wall that, you know, if you can put the sweat into it and you can do it full time and you maybe have a couple of credit cards, you can run a few things on, then some people can do it, you know? Um, yeah. So I think that there's maybe been a marketing story, a palatable marketing story that's been oversold. Um, but there's so much, there's so much work. That's the momentum. That's hard. It's the first hundred subscribers are the hardest. And then mm. the next, and then the first thousand subscribers are the second hardest. And then there does, then, you know, momentum, you start to have some chance of kicking in. So it's a flywheel and getting the flywheel moving. Um, it's individual for every person. So you, I do think you can always find outliers. Sometimes you just find people who, who hit it early. I think a lot of those people already had a network. So they already have, and that's one of the things that's, you know, uh, what's the, the, the book, you know, dig the well before you're thirsty. That's one of the things to work on is have a network of people whose work you respect and you think they're cool and you like them and um, be like cool and making yourself useful and making friends with those people now, regardless of what you think you're going to be doing in two years. Um, you know, John Morrow did that. Mm-hmm. John Morrow had, uh, he has A, he has a, a superlative work ethic. B, he has superlative focus because not everybody who works hard works on the right thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, C, he's, he's just, he has a great network. You know, he's an interesting guy. He's a cool guy. A lot of people value him and he's smart about creating value for other people. And so when John wants to put his foot on the accelerator, he's got, He's got fuel in the tank that you might not realize is there. Uh, and he can, you know, John can make something happen in, in 15 days. Um, but he's got all these assets that you're not, you know, maybe seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, love John. Also love what you left out about John. Ah, that he's, um, that he's got, he's got a, a significant constraint that would kick most people in the ass pretty bad. Yeah. 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 Um, so really appreciate that. Um, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because normally what you see for those people who are the fast outliers is there's, there's two common things that I've seen. One, they either have financial resources that give them a baseline, right? Of being able to do things or they have such a low cost of living. Yeah. Right. That they have, they have, again, not as far to fall. Like you rarely see someone that's like, well, you know, I'm making, you know, a quarter million dollars a year. I've got to replace that income. I'm going to do that in three months. I haven't seen so many of those stories. Yeah, yeah. You know, seen a lot of, I only need it $1,500, $2,000 a month. Okay. Well, and I love, and I think that um, Chris Gilbo, another Chris, um, has done a lot um, to kind of lead this tribe and, and he's, you know, not the only one, but I like that his flavor of entrepreneur teaching really includes a big minimalist component because if you can keep your expenses under control, um, then you ha- you open up all kinds of freedom. That's just like, it's kind of like making more money if you don't have to spend that money. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's a, that's a tremendous, but you know, 
sometimes you have that freedom and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have student debt. Sometimes you have um, kids. Kids are expensive, you know. Um, little creeps need health care and food and school and all the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because you get to say that as a parent, as a non-parent. Exactly. I don't get to say that. <laughs> exactly. Life is not fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, it, I mean, for me, it just completely comes down to assets and constraints. And if you can live more simply, then all of a sudden you start to take constraints and just toss them overboard, which is so powerful. So, um, yeah, if you can get your, you know, if you have the ability and you don't have aging parents you're taking care of, hello, welcome to my life, um, then maybe you can move to the Philippines and... Um, need a lot fewer dollars or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, we all have kind of our little vision of what that might look like for us. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think so many, so many people look at maybe a whoever, it doesn't matter. It's Chris Gilbo or it's Gary Vaynerchuk. It doesn't matter. Brian Clark or me or whatever. And they say, well, I can't do that because I have X. And it's like, no, you're right. I mean, you're going to, you're going to put together your thing. You can't put together my thing because you have totally different Legos than I do. You know, and that's totally fine. I mean, that's totally fine. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's the Rooseveltian quote, right? Do what you can with what you have where you are. Yeah. But that's basically the thing is like, that's, I think so often, um, and, and we're both content marketers, right? So we both are in the business of putting out educational materials and putting out things like that. So it's, it's really fun to say, you know, there's so much information out there available yeah. for people. And it's like, oh yeah, and I'm part of putting that information out there too, right? right? Um, but the whole thing is like, at some point you need to pay less attention to the information and say, really, what do I have? Yeah. Where am I trying to go? And with what I have and where I'm trying to go, what's my next best step? Right. 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 And it's, it's going to be unique to me right? It's not going to be Sonia's next step. It's not going to be Charlie's next step. It's going to be some particular distinct next step. And that next step is the perfect best thing, right? Yeah. And anyways, so I, I think a lot of times we look out turners to the world, like if we had that seven step blueprint, yes, exactly. right? That, that would show us exactly what we needed to do, then our life would mysteriously be better, right? Well, I love, you know, we mentioned Clay Collins and I love something Clay had published somewhere where he talks about, you know, kind of who, the, like the Tao of clay, you know, who's clay. And uh, one of the things he says is like, I'm just constitutionally, I, I don't get up in the morning. I don't get up early in the morning and I am constitutionally incapable of doing more than one thing a day. Like I realistic, realistically, I can get one real thing done a day and then I'm done. And I love that because again, that's, there's the mythology of the business owners, this person with infinite energy and their work, you know, and they don't sleep, which I think is very dangerous. Um, shorting yourself on sleep, if that's not literally what you're biologically wired for, is a terrible idea. It's bad for your health. It's bad for your productivity. It's bad for your, you know, intelligent decision making. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I mean, I've seen people make it work with almost anything. I mean, because Clay is kind of in that he's almost saying you can make it work even if you're kind of lazy. I mean, you could call that lazy. <laughs> I don't think it really is lazy, but it's, I think it is the thing people call laziness, you know, label is laziness. Yeah. I mean, if you write about productivity or teach about productivity, you're really teaching about intentional lazy, laziness and just mm. like how, right. And, and taking that like, how can you get the most done with the least amount of effort, which is oh, yeah. you know, sort of a lazy centric mindset anyways. I'm into that. I'm um, really into that. And so um, that's where sometimes people mistakenly think I'm hyperproductive. Or actually, I am, right? But they're like, how do you get it all done? And like, I try to figure out the least I have to do. Yeah. Right. right. And then do that, right? right? As opposed to the most I have to do because I'm a creative person like anyone else. I'm always going to dream up new ideas for me myself to do. Yeah. What yeah. Do now, bless them. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's just always coming from that with what I have, what's the most efficient way to get to that next step? Not yeah. what's the biggest way, not what's the loudest way, not what's the coolest way or the most unique way, but the best way to get from here to there. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, our, our friend um, Naomi Dunford taught this ages ago. And I think it's something she learned from her dad, which was what's the quickest, what's the, the shortest line between me and a check. And when you're putting it together, um, that's a really good question. <laughs> like, what's the, you know, what's the quickest way I can just get some money right now? Um, that's a very, that's a good thing to think about. 
Yeah. It's a very, very good thing to think about early in your business life cycle. Yeah. Right. As you get later in your business growth, sometimes the fastest way the money is not the best way the money, but when in doubt, that's a great yeah. quieting question. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Because eventually you create more stability, you create more structure, you create more um, repeatability. And yes, and then and then things take longer, but you can depend on them. So, so yeah. ideally, you don't stay there forever because you will make yourself bananas. But I think when you're trying to, to break out, to break free, um, yeah, to, as you said, it's a great clarifying question. Like, you know, what am I spending all my time on? Is that really going to produce any revenue for me in the time frame that that needs to happen? And another one while we're on this line is how much money is in my inbox? And by that mean, how many people have emailed me asking for something or want to work with me already just sitting there in my inbox that That's if I really just said good, yeah. yes to them, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily have to go find new people that yeah. are going to end up in my, my inbox unprocessed. That's good. I like that. That's very good. Thanks. Um, and so um, let's roll back. Okay. I have a couple more questions here and then, then I promise I will let you go. I'm so enjoying this conversation. So um, let's go back to internet marketing for smart people. Mm-hmm. Way back in the day, one of the hits. Um, you co-created this with Naomi Dunford, who you just mentioned, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, Is that, no, we created Internet Marketing for Smart People was CopyBlogger. Naomi and I created, I want to say it was Marketing for Nice People. Oh, you're right. Yeah. For Nice People. Man, was that a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and oh, the, the adjective, I forgot the adjective. Oh, well, I'll, I'll go beat myself up about it later. Um, and so internet marketing for, for nice people, right? Um, I, I want to talk about both nice and smart, right? Yeah. So what is it about marketing for nice people that gives this, like, that's a pain point. And let's tack on about smart people. So you got the nice problem and you got the smart problem. Yeah. Ready? Go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that they both defy um, the stereotypes, Right. We think of marketers as being not very nice and kind of um, I, I mean, I think a lot of bright people and a lot of maybe not even bright is the wrong word. Educated people um, sort of think like, well, that's fine, you know, for those salespeople kind of people. But, you know, I have a degree in Chinese um, literature and, you know, I just like that's not me. You know, that's for those other kind of people. Um Internet marketing for smart people, interestingly enough, I'm trying to remember who it was who came up with this. Somebody else used that term for us at Teaching Cells, and I don't think it was a compliment, <laughs> but we loved it. We were like, oh, yeah, you know, that's like, that's awesome. Um, again, so much of the marketing education is um, you don't have to be smart. You don't have to have anything together. You just have to kind of fill in the little, the little paint by numbers, and then you're going to have your business. Um, and we talked about why that, why paint by numbers is, is tricky to make work. Um, yeah, Naomi and I, um, were, were really all about the people who were maybe not super comfortable with, um, with the whole marketing and selling thing. And they felt like it was maybe exploitative or they felt like it was taking advantage. I mean, that, that kind of person when you teach them marketing, they're very, very worried that they're going to start selling ice to Eskimos and sell people things they don't need or want. And, you know, Naomi and I had to sort of say, like, you're not that good and you never will be. <laughs> like, I'm certainly not. I mean, it's not. Don't worry about it. That's not the things to worry about. That is not one of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just help people going with, you know, again, content marketing is a great approach for that because it helps you develop the rapport. It helps you develop. Uh, it's always going to have a teaching focus kind of inherent to it. And um, you get people to know who you are and understand your values. And values is a big one for me right now. Um, understand what you care about and understand what it is that you have to teach. And then when you turn around and say to that person, could I help you with this on a, you know, that's a premium basis. Um, it makes it easier for people to say yes without fear. So it's, it's, I mean, as formulas go, it works pretty well. But the, the problem with it as a formula is it's kind of like making soup. All the ingredients are kind of up to you. It's like, well, I don't have, you know, I don't, I'm a vegan. Like, I don't want to use the ham hock. Okay, well, you can put some whatever vegans use in there, some toe bacon or whatever. I don't know. 
<laughs> neither one of us are vegan, so neither one of us. Yeah, can we, be we're we're sadly. Yeah, um, we we need to pick a a, a very meat centric metaphor next time. Yes. Right. Um, you just mentioned you're very focused, or at least thinking a lot about values right now. Um, why is that? I I came across a really interesting study about values, and this was a study to get people to very 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 sedentary people and to get them to move more. To just to, to get started, because we talked about the flywheel. Once you get something moving, uh, a lot of times it'll get momentum. And this is true of your physical body as well. And the study had people, what the study, the too long didn't read version is, the study showed that if people looked at their values, that they identified themselves. So maybe your value is significance, or your value is contribution, or your value is family, or your value is... Um, patriotism or or religion or whatever it doesn't it actually did not matter what it was if they were reminded of those values they were more receptive to advice about doing something good for themselves getting more activity whatever um and they didn't even have to to connect the dots they didn't have to say okay they were not asked to say well how would taking a walk today serve my value of um God and family. They didn't. They just said, my values are God and family and and patriotism, or my values are peace, love, and understanding, or whatever it is. And then they got advice about how to do something that was hard outside of their comfort zone, and they were able to take the advice. And so I just thought that was totally fascinating. And it's it's kind of core to how I'm thinking about things now that I don't care what your values are. But if you keep reminding yourself of them and you keep circling back to them, that will give you energy to do what you're going to do. And what you do with it is, you know, um, hey, you know, that's up to you to discover. Yeah. When I'm working with clients, one of the things that we do pretty quickly is really do a values assessment, both personal values, but also the values that end up in the business. A lot of times, mm-hmm. they're the same, right? But sometimes they're different, right? And, um, you know, that's, that's interesting. I'm going to have to hound you down and find out what the link to that is. Because yeah. um, that's just one of those things where when we come up, like, you know, we talk about the values and then talk about some key strategic decision, we always get a better yeah. A better way of working through that that helps them sleep at night, that helps them be more resonant with it. And even when they're really hard, right? Right. But, well, it was in, you know, we at least came from that perspective rather than sort of the busyness of business or the emotional roller coaster that is being a business owner, right? It's like that's, it's important to recognize that that's the case, but that's not what's important. What's important is our values and culture and what we're trying to do, right? And they're very, they're very attractive. You know, if somebody's living from their values, um, I like um, there's a company that I love, and they're they're different from me in a lot of ways, but Saddleback Leather, mm-hmm. and they totally lead from their values. I mean, it's so front and center in everything that they do, and so I'm kind of with them in some ways, and we're kind of different in other ways. But the fact that they are so front and center about it is very appealing, and I can say, you know, we kind of like I don't think we probably vote for the same candidates, but I can say, hey, we can agree to disagree on that one. But you are really living it. You're not. It's not. It's you're not. It's not lip service, and that kind of integrity uh, and that kind of heart really just shows through. So it's it's interesting to me that split because you think, okay, sure, you're going to lead from values, and my value is going to be justice and equality, and then I'm going to have a justice and equality business, and all the other justice and equality people people are going to come hang out with me, which has validity, but it doesn't stop there. And that's the, the not stopping there. That's fascinating to me right now. That's fantastic. Um, you recently, well, as part of a, the Rainmaker Digital emphasis on podcasting, you, you recently switched from, from what I can tell, primarily being a writer. You're shaking your head right now. Primarily being a writer to being a podcaster. Why? why? Yeah, why, why, why? Um, and so I've been, you know, I've been intensely curious about this for a long time. And so I'm glad to be having this conversation because I'm like, Pinky, she, like she's a writer, this whole podcasting thing. I'm wondering how that's sitting with your creative process and your energy and love around it, so on and so forth. Well, here's the funny thing about it is I write probably 85% of what I'm going to say for every, almost every episode. 
Um, the, ex- the exception being the interview episodes where I just write out my my questions. So I'm still, I'm still writing them. Right now on Rainmaker FM, I'm the only one who has transcripts because I write the whole episode before I record it. So I'm like, here's the script. I formatted it in HTML. Um, no, it's good. I mean, it's good. It's it's different. Um, we're doing a lot of greatest Sonia hits on the blog right now, which is kind of fun taking because I've written so much for Copy Blogger. So we have quite a bit that we can bring back uh, to the front of the blog. Um, no, it's been fun. It's been it's been interesting. The audio, in a lot of ways, is a way for me to play around with ideas and get um, experimental again. Um, for some reason, I just feel freer with this. So uh, I like it, but it's it's so much. I'm on such a production schedule, you know, and I have my. Um, I just have I have such tight processes around the podcast, the podcasts, um, and thankfully, I also have a fantastic team. So I have a team that edits the audio, and I have a team that gets it ready to publish on the site, and I have a team that there's all the other things I don't even know how to do Um, because yeah so I you know my job is to write the script to come up with the idea to write the script and to record it and then to prepare it for the team to process and um, even so doing two a week is um, yeah no I'm I'm working kind of hard on the podcasts (laughs) yeah um, well and I asked that because we're currently publishing two podcasts a week now or two episodes a week and I'm like um, what we've seen thus far you know, depends on, you'll, you'll be hearing this in a two week in, in, in a few weeks if you're listening to this, but what we looked at thus far is we're working more than twice as hard to produce. Mm. Right. Interesting. Are we getting more than twice the return? Right. 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 And it hasn't been that way yet. Right. Yeah. And so I'm like, you know, that seems to be going backwards. I'm too lazy for that. Right. Um, but well, it, it's early and, and things like that. Podcasting is just weird, right? Podcasting is weird. And, and podcasting is another one. Everybody wants to sort of have the three-month turnaround. And podcasting is a long game. It's a long game. It's a long game. Um, I think that one of the things that helps me with the two podcasts and one of the things that maybe makes it not more than twice the work is that Copyblogger FM for me is – that's the content marketing podcast. It's the voice of the blog. Um, it's really about content strategy and execution and confessions of a pink haired marketer is really about the mindset of a business owner, the values of a business owner. I do a lot about productivity. It's much more of the Sonya show. Um, I have an episode every four weeks. It's things I love, things I hate. So I just did one on um, this hilarious YouTube channel called nerdy nummies. It's like a nerd cooking show. It's awesome. (laughs) It's so awesome. Um, So because they're so different, and they have such different focuses. I can, um, I think if I was doing two episodes of Copy Blogger FM a week, um, I think that would be very, very hard. So that for me, for some reason, having them be really distinct actually makes it easier to do too, which is yeah. kind of strange. Yeah. Um, and I like what you say because, you know, what we're looking at is I like doing the solo sort of stuff because it's more like you get to do audio essays and they don't have to follow sort of that written. Yeah you know, what are my five takeaways and things like that, which are really important, right? In the, in the written, but in an audio essay, you can explore a little bit more. It's a different contract, I think. I think it's a different contract with the listener. Yeah, it is. And, and different kinds of ideas come up, which is great because then that can inform my book. If I ever get all the way through writing a book, um, but yeah, I get, I get ideas for, I get ideas for things doing audio content in a different way. So that's fantastic. Alrighty. So what's the most unanticipated challenge that you're currently facing? Cause you've got a lot going on. The most unanticipated challenge, you know, for me, the most unanticipated challenge right now, it, it's the weirdest thing coming out of corporate is um, I would love to be in more meetings. Isn't that weird? I, um, I mentioned getting lonesome. I'm getting lonesome over here. I'm in my, you know, my home office. I have all this freedom. I structure my day the way I need to structure it. I, I have to do that because one of my driving values is family, and I, I must be available to connect with my family in a meaningful and deep way when that's a thing. 
Um, so I structure my time. I have all this freedom, but I miss the connection. And, you know, connection and freedom are, there's tension. Mm-hmm. There's, you, you give up freedom when you get more connected. So that was, man, a, that was my last audio podcast, by the way. Oh, cool. I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah, I do. So, yeah, so I, I um, my unanticipated challenge right now is I got overly free and I'd like to be more connected because our team, I will say, you know, um, at one of the company meetings, we kind of realized, you know, there's all the ninjas and the rock stars and the, you know, gangsters and we're like the goonies, you know, like, you this, are the goonies. We are the goonies, you know, we're this gang of like kind of odd kids <laughs> like if you got a bunch of the weird smart people together yeah and, like and not everybody gets us you know <laughs> but we're but we get each other and we really love each other and we can do amazing things um out of that kind of gooniness so yeah we are the goonies um um so i love my goonies and um and i'd like to spend more time with them so that's kind of my weird it is weird i love it i you know, there have been plenty of times as I've grown Productive Flourishing where I recognize that as we get like too small of a team, I start mm-hmm. missing like that team collaboration and things like that. And obviously you get too big, then other things can happen. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's the trick is as individual creative people, you've got to create that mental, social, emotional, spiritual environment that enables you to thrive. And if yeah. you're getting that, that social juice, you know, it, it, it shows up in your work. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a social introvert. Um, I'm, I'm physiologically introverted and I get tired when I have too much interaction, but I am social. I really enjoy people. I enjoy conversation. I enjoy um, learning about people. I'm nosy um, and I want to know what everybody's business and I want to know, and and I'm such a mom, right? I'm just like, you know, one of my writers was sort of like, Oh, you know, I, can't make the call today because just my I lost my voice and I'm like, did you go to the doctor? She's like, no, I don't really want to go to the doctor. I'm like, sweetie, go to the doctor because you know I don't like the sound of that. So she goes to the doctor. Oh, thank you. I went to the doctor. It was better. I'm just a, I'm the mama. <laughs> uh, you're the mama. So I take it that's not going to be the answer to my my very last question. I appreciate all the time that you that you've showed up and that you've that you provided for us today. Um, if people remember nothing else from this episode about you or your body of work, what would you want it to be? Be honest about your own set of Legos and don't try to build somebody else's thing with don't, don't value what you have, value what you have and know what you have because you are completely capable of making something that will bring so much value, but it has to be true to who you are. It can't be true to anybody else's blueprint model. Um, other people can help you and give you some ideas, but it's for you to put together the way you think you should. Sonia, thanks so much for joining me today. Charlie, you're such a sweetheart. I love talking to you. Thank you for, thank you for connecting. Okay, Creative Giant. So you heard it from Sonia. Don't try to build somebody else's thing. What if you did a scan and you really took your own resources, your own set of Legos seriously, what would you build today that was uniquely yours that would make a difference in the world? Go do that. And until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.